0: Hello and welcome to the Dark Souls podcast. My name is Matt Lees. I'm joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matthew Lees. It's a new year. It's a new month. It's a new day. I'm feeling all right. The podcast feeling is back. Average. This is season two of the Average podcast about games. Things are going to be slightly different this year. The podcast is going to be less frequent, maybe, but we'll try and make it good. And we've got some cool little features in there to spice it up a bit. You're going to hear more about them as we go. Surprises, surprises, surprises. But first of all, Let's talk about a couple of games we've played recently that are maybe good.
1: You're right down to business, Matthew Lees. I am.
0: I don't mess about. I just get my ankles mucky, and then I make you clean the muck off my ankles. So tell me about Gravity Rush 2.
1: Uh, Oh, wow. Uh, I feel like you're a parent. You want me to swim. You've thrown me into the pool. You don't even know if I That's how you teach
0: kids to swim. I can...
1: Well, actually, this is fitting, because Gravity Rush 2 is a game about floating. Oh. Uh, Did you play the original Gravity Rush?
0: I didn't, but everyone said it was really cool.
1: It... Is very interesting. It's the vein of like um, uh, Crackdown or Infamous, where you're given a city and some superpowers, and the game goes. Here are some missions as well, maybe. But basically, it's, it's, it is an excuse to go around a city.
0: And wasn't it a Vita game that used the accelerometer so you could lie around on your back and roll around like a mad dog? That is absolutely correct. So the uh, power
1: that you are given in Gravity Rush is you're a lady who can control gravity. Uh-huh. Uh, meaning that she can fall in any direction which is basically flying um, and, you know, uh, run along walls and things. That's pretty much the extent of her power. Sure. Um, So yes, the way that worked in the Vita is you press the button that sends her floating into the air, and then you pick a direction by rolling around like a cat trying to get uh, another cat off its back then once you've got the accelerometer to point in the direction you want to fall you click another button and you fall you you you, you just use the analog stick
0: is what you actually basically, do. basically yeah it's yeah. like a cool gimmick that you go whoa
1: for like a minute and then you go this turn no. it off no but the game itself is really interesting and i think the the re- well, like
0: being able to just change gravity all the time is it's super cool
1: it's cool um yes and it like the the way the world is built is um it's a series of floating islands so you do end up having like really great choreography like um you can step off an island, like um, a monster's about to attack you, say. Mm-hmm. It's it's firing a big black uh, nebulous piece of art designed matter at you. Um, so you step off the island and you just fall. And you can free fall for a bit and enjoy the music and just the the unbelievable uh, sort of anime visuals of this um, girl with long blonde hair just falling through the air. And then you press a button and whoop, she Flip floats. around. And then you can fall vertically underneath the island and then fall vertically upwards to just emerge on the other side of the island from the one you fell off at. And so, can you fall down like infinitely? There's no like anything to fall into. Um. Well, the you can fall for a while before the map cuts you off. And actually, one of the coolest things about Gravity Rush Two that I did is essentially like the game world. The engine is like a big cube, and then in the middle of that cube are the islands that float. So you can fall upwards or in any direction for a long time before the game goes. No, but really, you'll you, never get now. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on now. But the coolest thing uh, that is in the sequel, um, which isn't perfect, um, that happened is once you get to the first big hub world, which is like a city, um, I uh, sort of like a, a Venice-style city, big tall buildings. The um, the soundtrack has this uh, kind of. Oh, goodness me. What's that famous animated movie about the cyclists uh, that...
0: Oh, the French one.
1: Yes. Um, no well, way. it's that kind of like... Um, it, it, the, the soundtrack is Zithers and Violins, and it's very France in the 1920s. It's cool. Lovely little setting. But uh, so you've got this bright uh, city, and when you arrive there, you explore it, and it's okay. But then I stepped off one of these things, and I thought like you, how long can I fall for? And the game doesn't tell you that this is there until missions start prompting you to explore, but I fell through the cloud covers beneath and just kept falling and then fell into the slums, which are a whole load of islands that are floating under the clouds under the world. Ah. And the game doesn't prompt you that it's there or you can go there, but if you just fall, it's like, oh my God, what? what?" And then you let yourself fall further and then you can land on these islands. It's it's one of the coolest superpowers that a video game has ever given me. It reminds me of um, uh, what Tim Rogers said about Portal which is that the toy that Portal gives you is something that's so entertaining. It's like, oh my God, I wish I had that in real life. Mm. And Gravity Rush 2 is the same thing. It's something that I end up fantasizing about. It's like a very human thing to dream about just falling in any direction um, and having control over that. Of uh, of imagining, what if the ceiling became the floor? That classic scene in Inception that everyone remembers of the world rotating and yeah. you run around the walls. Gravity Rush is that game.
0: I think that's like always one of the signs of really good fiction is when it gets into your head so much that you see it in the world in a fun way yeah like, Jet
1: I mean, Set so, Radio Future let me and my friends for the hot month that we played it we were always
0: imagining that we were roller skating up lampposts and stuff yeah I mean, it's like anyone who's ever played like Tony Hawks is just like I like, guess to a period of their life where they just imagine everything as being like I jump from that to that and then that to that and working out how you can do infinite trick loops in yeah it. it
1: was crazy yeah. it was teenagers imagining the world as something that they could grind just all the time yeah I
0: mean so that's never happened before. Exactly.
1: Uh, But no, Gravity Rush is... I love the art design, I love the music, and playing Gravity Rush 2 has been slightly disappointing to me. I do want to do a video on it, because my god, I just want to expose as many people to these visuals um, as possible, because it's so gorgeous. But my god, if it isn't also just a little bit shonky.
0: Yeah, well, sequels can be tricky like that. Often it's it's a case of... yeah, for for lots of reasons. It's... uh, yeah,
1: the combat isn't great! And... Honestly, there wouldn't. There's not much merit in me talking about this and go and listing all the ways in which the combat is a bit choppy and a bit fiddly. But uh, I'm going to be doing a video on it, and I'm going to have interesting things to say about games and the nature of escapism. Maybe we'll
0: find out. Cool, I'm fun. A, I'm gonna park myself in front of a script and see what happens. That seems like the way to do it. A thing I've been playing a bunch of over Christmas. Actually, it's probably one of my my favorite games for a long time. Definitely one of my favorite games of last year. Um, is. Oh, Bloody, I can do the name of this. Shogun Tactics. No. no. <laughs> Shadow Tactics. Yep. Blades of the Shogun? Correct. Now, you see, I got that right second time, but really, it's one of those times where every time I try and think, what's that game called, I just go... Stealth Tactics, like Blade Stealth of Blades the Shadow. Shadow
1: Tactics. Blades of the Shogun, Shadow Tactics. It has the worst
0: name. I mean, I'm just going to... It just has the worst name. It's, um, it's very... But then it's very 90s, you know, it's a very 90s name for a very 90s game. Effectively, if you've never played it, um, it's like a modernised version of a Commandos game.
1: What's a Commandos game?
0: Commandos games were, like, for those who played them, real
1: classics, and they were actually really good. It's one of those uh, things that's a genre unto itself, like exactly.
0: Diablo exactly um except diablo now is there's tons of those things it's an action rpg but for a while but for what that's the thing is like basically commando's games there was nothing like them apart from a couple of <laughs> basically things that were like them which were not as good but we're talking like two <laughs> things there was one with cowboys called desperados and another one which was like uh, robin hood and the sheriff of so how do you explain whatever.
1: what commando's is to someone who hasn't played it
0: so it's actually it was kind of like a real time strategy game but you had less characters actually kind of now it's easier to explain almost with the context of mobas and the idea of having like yeah. you've got these five characters that you move around you know a collection of characters that you move around by clicking on them and they all have different abilities so you imagine almost like a a moba where you look after all the different characters and you have to use their different abilities in combinations to get through Missions which are pre-made and have guards patrolling, and it's basically a stealth game.
1: Yes, the stealth saves it because obviously controlling multiple characters is a ball leg, but yeah. in a stealth game, mostly you just park them in a bush and forget about them for upwards of 45 minutes. Yes,
0: basically. So in the original Commandos, you had things like the Green Beret. It was like, rah, rah, rah. It was like basically a, a tough British bloke who had a knife and he would just go and stab people in the back. I mean, basically you were <laughs> killing Nazis. And the funny thing about that game though was like the idea was that you were these behind enemy lines, stealth experts. But in reality, you just end up like, you had infinite bullets in your guns and the trick I remember which worked on a drastic number of the levels was just to stand behind a shed, fire your gun, and then a Nazi would go, what was that? And then they'd run over and then as soon as they run around the corner, you just shoot the Nazi and then they'd just keep running until you had this just huge pile of Nazi bodies um, and then, yeah, that's half the level empty. Brilliant. But Shadow Tactics works really well in the fact that, like it's very modern in many ways. They've got lots of uh, lots of very subtle touches, which I love. The interesting thing about these games, of any stealth game, is a stealth game is basically a mechanic where you keep loading the game because you've cocked it up. Yeah, like that is what lots of stealth games come down to, especially yeah. old ones, which in many ways can be seen as a, being like a bad game design well
1: I mean I've been saying this for a while that the test of any stealth game is what happens when you get caught which is why uh, like the Metal Gear Solid 5 uh, you know reimagining a Metal Gear Solid stealth was so good that you get busted the game goes into slow motion and you can shoot someone before the alarm yeah Uh, what game did that as well Dishonored 2 I forget
0: yes Yes. yes. Well, that's <laughs> the thing is like lots of modern stealth games have moved away from this whole like tradition of stealth and actually like modernized. It. And we, you know, we just made a hit video about Hitman. Yes, which just again um, takes away the um, learning routes and remembering patterns and is more reactive because
1: everything is static until you interact with it.
0: Exactly. So Shadow Tactics has an element of that, and it has less like patrols and stuff, and more people who are just in fixed positions or on tight little patrols and it gives you a set of tools, and basically... We should clarify
1: that this game is extremely good.
0: It's awesome. I love it. Like, I have very almost finished it. I'm on the last mission, but I've spent tons of time just going and playing the missions over and over again to try and unlock all of the, like, challenges. All of the things where it's like, okay, do that, but never go in the water. You know, you're ninjas, basically, so you can... Swimming in the water is a great way of getting away from trouble. But you have... Character who's a ninja who can fire shurikens. and Shurikens, Shuriken, Sorry, oh, god, this is like my pronunciation from eight year old. I'm Matt sorry, I feel up. like you just gave me a present.
1: No, tell uh, me, tell me how you use your shurikens.
0: Oh, get sh- shuriken. you have a shuriken.
1: with uh, who? who has the shuriken? Your nanja, your nanja,
0: <laughs> your nan, your nan- ninja. <laughs> your nanja, uh, manager, your, your shinobi, shinobi, no,
1: <laughs> you Ninja manager blades. Of the ninja manager
0: Shinobi has a sh- uh, has a has a, sh- a sh- shuriken. Oh my god! Let's okay. Yes, I'm yes. Going back to normal talking now for as long as I can. Okay, you've only got one though, and it means you throw it, kills a person, and then you have to go and collect it. But he's really good at like silent stealth kills and running around quickly and silently. Then you have a girl who's good at some of the ninja things a bit, but she can set traps and has a little whistle that sounds like a bird or something that makes people come and look, and then. You've got a wonderful old man who 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 toddles around with <laughs> his wooden leg. leg. Yeah. But his wooden leg is also his sniper rifle, which means he can just at any point, like, yeah. And he has a tanuki, a little cute tanuki that you can send off to distract the tanuki guards. Tanuki is way OP. By it's the way. best thing. And the guards will go, ah, I tanuki. I didn't realize that
1: once that you send the tanuki off to be go and be cute somewhere, yeah. the guards will look at it literally forever.
0: No, they get bored. They do oh, get do bored. they? Yeah, yeah. They, they oh. do for a while,
1: but after a while, they're like, well, I better get back to work now. <laughs> um, like someone passing cat pictures around the office or something.
0: Exactly. They're like, this has been great, but I mean, it must be really boring being a guard, to be honest.
1: Oh, absolutely. But
0: there's some wonderful flair in this in terms of the fact that like the animations are wonderful and...
1: The environment detailing is really nice as well. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It, it's
0: all feudal like Japan. Is it feudal Japan actually? Yes, it's kind of, yeah, absolutely. shogunate era. Um, And what's lovely about it as well is the fact that I think a lot of the developers are Japanese, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, But I love that it is just like it's a game set in Shogun-era Japan. And it doesn't have, like, dragons or mythical (laughs) tigers or anything. It's just, like, has a really cool little story with some nice characters that are just taking place in Shogun-era Japan. And... You just have like you, just, you don't have, you just like the setting that's I love the fact it. the setting is quite vanilla and it pulls it off it doesn't need to be like fantastical or to introduce strange elements or wild elements it can just be a solid little world building thing and a lot of the levels are beautiful a lot of the ways they Mix it up with things like snow leaving tracks.
1: Yeah, you know it is admirable that um, I'm thinking of one mission in particular where uh, uh, all the drama doesn't come from. You know, oh well, you know, get the magic sword and exactly kill the guy who's also secretly a vampire man. Yeah. It's like uh, no, it's the drama and the mission I'm thinking of is like no, there's guards all around us. They're killing people. This is just really grim. You know, the one that said yeah. in the rain?
0: Yeah, exactly. I, and that's the thing. is Because often, there's, there's drama in death. And, exactly. And I think what I like about it is often with video games, people can just use settings as theme and that's it. And it's like, well, we kind of use this for the art design. It's going to be like Shogun era art, but then there's going to be, you know, weird supernatural stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, the classic thing is, is Assassin's Creed, which the developers, well, the publishers or whatever, didn't feel strongly enough that it was okay that it just be... Just, you've just got your you're in Jerusalem. Yes. Like, it has to be like sci-fi. and I don't know. It's kind of refreshing to play a game where there isn't some mad twist that the devil is in control of the shogun or something. It, the first Assassin's Creed. just like Creed. Assholes,
1: so. I, I've become really disinterested in that series, but the first Assassin's Creed is so interesting that it exists because you've got a game with like, this weird sci-fi minority report backdrop that everyone knows, but also a game that's so meticulously meticulously researched. People are speaking actual Anglo-Saxon in the original Assassin's Creed. Yeah,
0: it was was detailed. Yes, and then... They forgot to put a game in (laughs) a lot of it, I felt. I have
1: definitely talked about this on Dark Souls before, but the first Assassin's Creed, to me, is the only one that had an actual functional game.
0: Yeah, see, I I completely disagree with that. I think the second one... Um, Is the the second
1: one was where they started going. Let's abandon the loop of game that we created and let's just make it fun by letting the player do dumb stuff. I don't think there was an actual challenge in the second game.
0: No, but I thought the first game was really boring. Well, anyway, uh, we've had this conversation before, but yeah, I just I felt like it was just very thin, and they, they they tried to fill it out with stuff that was just fluff. And, oh, then uh, there's
1: no fluff in the later Assassin's Creed games.
0: Oh no, there is, but it was just like when it was like just get a hundred flags. I was just like, no, I'm out. Oh, sure, but anyway, uh, who who would possibly
1: could possibly be in for the hundred flags? I want to meet someone. If, oh, if people were, if you collected a hundred flags in the original Assassin's Creed, do write in. That was
0: peak achievement time, man. People were doing all sorts of fucking nonsense just for a little pop up. Honestly, you, this is when you were working on official Xbox, so you know about. No, the flags, no, no. So. This was way before that. Was way before then. But anyway, Shadow Tactics. Um, is you've got like enemies with view cones you've got like you know like you can crawl in this section of the view cone but you know and then you have lots of lovely stuff which is again if you've played commando's games you just know about like very carefully surfing on a view cone so you're just like just ahead of them looking um but then also being able to just be quite creative with it sometimes you find yourself stuck on a puzzle for a while being like how do i kill this guy how do i get this guy to go out the way so I, and you'll end up bending over backwards doing some stupid thing where you're like, well, this guy throws a rock and then he turns around and then he sees something weird and then he walks over to look at that thing and then And then while he walks over the track, there, we kill his friend and yeah, then exactly. we drag
1: his friend into our bush.
0: And then after you've done all this stuff and it takes you like half an hour to pull it off perfectly and you're like, yes, you then realise there was like another thing you could have done which this would have been so easy. is what really threw me. And it's something that Shadow Tactics has in common with the new
1: Hitman, which is rather than there being any one uh, path through it, which you would assume there is, the level is designed... Um, in a very curious way, I think it would be a really interesting exercise to design these things because there is no path. It's They're just like, open, yeah. It's, they just put obstacles around the level such that there's always at least one or two ways, or sorry, two or three or four ways of doing almost anything outside the tutorial, yeah. Yeah. which is crazy. And it led uh, through like a decade of me playing video games. I was actually conditioned to play it that really hampered my uh, Shadow Tactics experience because I would get to an area, assume that I'd seen a conclusion, which is possible, but a massive pain in the ass. And I wouldn't be able to just put that puzzle down and go, this isn't working, I've quick-loaded upwards of 40 times. Yeah. But I, I couldn't do that because I knew that whatever I settled on, obviously that's the only way to do it. And it never was.
0: No, no, there's tons of things, tons of options. But, I mean, what I love, the, the things that it does that modernizes it is obviously the ability to program in actions that you can then press a button they happen. that kind of shadow time thing, which is a lovely time. thing because it means you can be like... Otherwise known as time. You can pull off this wonderful moment where it's like, well you know, this guy's gonna stab this guy and then he turns around, but while he's turning around he gets a shurik in the neck and then this mm-hmm. guy stabs the third guy in the back while he's turning around to go, what's going on? And when you time it all and you just get ready and you go oh, I love that it only lets you do one of them as well. It's not like it doesn't let you program multiple things so you can be like that, that, that. You have to do it all on one thing, which means you have to again be quite creative in terms of being like you work out the timings. You're like, how long is it going to take him to run from there to there? And you have to kind of guesstimate in your head the number of seconds so that Everything happens see, this exactly was, when you want This was where on the higher difficulties
1: I did finally start to be like "Oh, Maybe I've had my fill of this Where so much of the um, difficulty in Shadow Tactics Because of the way that they've designed these uh, levels And the systems in the game Isn't, oh I see the solution And then you do it It's, maybe this is the solution Because maybe his view cone won't reach Or maybe I'll be able to kill him in time It's a lot of um, estimating how long systems take And how far people go to reach your conclusion yeah, and But the problem is that because your ability to give orders isn't perfect, it means that you can try a solution, fail because a guard sees you, reload and go, well, maybe I was too slow. Right. And then after failing only five times, do you go, oh, no, that's actually not the solution, which was a pain.
0: I never found that, but... I think what I like as well is the the very subtle details it gives you with the with simple things like the fact that it's like hey this guy killing a killing a guard takes him one point two seconds whereas her one point three seconds and it's like you have this well this
1: is my this is my thing so a solution that would work with the one point two second guy doesn't work with the one point three but there's no way of finding that out instantly you have to try and fail a few times to find out
0: yeah maybe but I mean that's for me was like it's like a puzzle game and I don't mind the failure what I love about it one of the few things that I thought was really smart is the fact that they turned the whole th- problem on its head of being like the I feel like these are puzzle games in the way that you play a puzzle game and you don't just get it right you, you fuck up the puzzle sometimes you like keep moving stuff around and you go oh no fuck that restart 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 and you just keep toying with the puzzle until it works the problem is these are all miniature puzzles within a little world and you go through them one at a time and if you haven't remembered to save the game, like and you have to then do a puzzle again, that's really annoying because you're like, oh, I'm back here. I killed that guy. And so I love the fact that constantly, whenever you haven't saved the game for like a minute, it like pops oh, up on the less screen. Than that.
1: It's, it's it's 30, like, it's 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, it's like maybe 30 seconds. But then when it gets to a minute, it changes color and flashes. And it basically like it goes from being like yellow to being red, being like, mate, you haven't saved the game for a minute. In this game's terms, that's like loads. So by reminding you all the time to save, I found that really effective. And it meant that I didn't have, I'd still had occasionally, but I very rarely had those moments where I was like, oh, I'm back here. Are you joking? And it meant I was really happy to just keep hammering quick load so I can pull off these really audacious little like things. And much in the same with Hitman, of just being like, this is going to be hard and it's going to be pointless, but I want to do this like this. And then when it worked, I was like,
1: yeah! This is the difference between you and me. You spent 20, 30, 40 hours in Sapienza.
0: Yeah, I mean I think I just really enjoyed being in the place and I think the same is true with most of the levels in this as well. I just thought, you know what, like when it got to the end of the level, rather than being just next mission I'm like, I want to go and play that again and just toy around with it in a different way. Because there was just so much fun to be had. And even simple little puzzles when you're trying to do the difficult difficult challenges, you have to think, I love simple stuff like the fact that when you throw the shuriken, it's like, it's really good because it just kills a guy instantly, but they kind of stand and gurgle out for a few seconds because it's like they've been hitting the neck with a little blade. And so it's like less ideal because one of their mates might turn around and go, is that my mate choking to death on his own blood?
1: It is an exquisitely crafted thing. It's fantastic. Which It reminds me of that uh, just a, a very well-hewn thing like Mark of the Ninja, which is relevant.
0: Yes. So we have got a new feature for the podcast. What we've done is we've written five questions that we think are quite good, and we're going to be asking a different game dev to answer those each time. We thought this was a really nice way of basically trying to have some some broad questions that allow game devs to talk about broader stuff, just to get a feel for the whole industry well, and really show some of the breadth of. This what's is going. what I find so exciting. We've picked five questions
1: that I think you can ask them to different designers, and we're going to get different interesting answers all the time. Well,
0: I hope so; otherwise, it's going to be a real waste of time. Then
1: this feature will not continue for long. Take it away. <laughs>
0: Stop! I'd like to ask a game developer 5 questions. This time on 5 questions we've got Nels Anderson, lead designer on Mark of the Ninja and designer on Firewatch. The first question, can you name us something you're hugely proud of from a game that you made that most people wouldn't notice.
2: This is something that actually some other people on the team didn't notice until I think like maybe a week before the game was finished. So in Firewatch, there's this bit in the middle where there's we called it like the montage sequence to convey a passage of time. There's a bunch of like little small vignettes that play over you know the course of like effectively two months. And there is one day in that series of vignettes that is actually completely optional. On the 33rd day, you're kind of sent out to just you know retrieve some more supplies for your lookout tower. And you go to this cache where there are several other boxes of food. There's this one box for you, for your tower, two forks for Henry, and then there's two others. You know, that food's kind of meant for everybody. So just take what's yours. Of course, the game perfectly allows you to take or just like huck that other food off a cliff. And so if you do that, there'll be a bit, a very short, like, micro scene, a day 34 where Delilah calls you back and she's like, so, did you take all that food? (laughs) <laughs> he goes, uh, I was very hungry. Okay, bye. And at least two people working on firewatch didn't even know that day existed. I think into like a week or two before we shipped the game. <laughs> um, so the reason why I like that is because it's this very small scene. And it's not like telegraphed or signposted in a oh push a to choose to take the food and choose b to be a good guy and leave it it's just like this thing where you know just through the totally normal consistent verbs of the game you can pick up and take those other boxes of food just like you could pick up and take anything else but then if you do the game notices that and kind of gives you this very small acknowledgement of your action and i i would hazard to say probably less than 1% 1% of the people who played Firewatch actually saw that.
0: What's your favorite game? And what is the one thing that you would change about it? So I had a lot
2: of favorite games. <laughs> but certainly one of them would be Thief, The Dark Project from Looking Glass. Kind of like a classic, you know, 1998 first-person stealth game, very fundamental to, to Stealth vs. Throne to a unique genre. And one thing I would change about it if, if you forced me to change something about it, would be that while the enemy behaviors, the guard behaviors, I mean, I think they're pretty sophisticated even now. Um, and from 1998, they were incredibly sophisticated. The enemies still tend to be very siloed like they they will react to specific things the player does and they will you know occasionally communicate and collaborate with each other a little bit but they're still a bit like automatons where more broadly you know the level and the the stuff in it doesn't specifically react to what the player has done kind of in aggregate it's all those um, guard reactions are very localized I guess Uh, So having it so that, you know, if you were using a lot of water arrows to turn off, turn off, (laughs) douse all the torches, then maybe the guards would start to react to at least comment upon it, if not full on start to adapt their behaviors toward that and then. Force the player to come up with some new approaches. Uh, it's certainly the you know just the the artifacts and the levels themselves do challenge you to behave and move in new and different ways. But that happens far more between levels than within any particular level. Um, so I think that if the levels themselves were a bit more reactive to the way the player was approaching them and kind of forced the player to really stay on their toes at all times, that would be a very interesting space to explore. And, you know, some games have started to, to kind of look at that stuff, like, dishonoured. But I think there's definitely fertile soil there to, to build upon what Thief had done.
0: What in the world makes you so excited right now that you want to loudly tell everyone about it?
2: There was this rad game that came out back in December uh, from this German developer called Mimi Mimi The game is Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. Title's perhaps a touch of long-winded, but the game itself is is absolutely phenomenal. It's basically like real-time squad-based tactics in these lovely, like diorama-esque puzzle box levels. The characters are personalized in kind of a charming way. There's a there's a Japanese language option, like a voice track, so you can just read subtitles, which is fantastic. You end up feeling like, you know, you're kind of playing your way through like Kagimusha or Ran or something, but in the These lovely, intricate, very detailed levels, they're just very transportive, they're very fascinating and they kind of explore the dynamics of like a a stealth game, like it's all about planning and execution in a way that very few even stealth games do these days. It is an absolute gem of a game and I think that folks should definitely check it out.
0: What was the last game you played that reinforced your passion for the medium, and why?
2: Hundrolateral Cowboy from Blendo Games, a.k.a. Brendan Chung. Quadrilateral Cowboy is an 80s-era cyberpunk hacking game that is done in Blendo's now iconic, cu- literally cubist, uh, in-house style that he, he kind of refined in originally Gravity Bone and then Thirty Flights of Loving. Quadrilateral Cowboy is just a game I love to death. Not only does it have all of... Brendan's like personality and quirks and really is a game that is spoken with the voice of a, of a singular author. It is also just uses hacking actually as doing computer programming in a way that is thorough and robust and remarkable and consistent. You know, there's no like pipe dreams or connecting nodes on a line graph or whatever. It's like you're actually doing timing things and writing like little scripts and routines. And it is just So phenomenal, and so clever, and so distinct. And knowing that Brendan basically made the entire game by himself makes me just the most infuriated, jealous person in the world. But also superbly happy
0: (laughs) that I need to work in an industry
2: that has people like Brendan uh, also working in
0: it. And finally, who in the industry would you most like to hear answer these questions, and why?
2: This is probably an easy answer. But I would love to hear what Clint Hawking has to say about these questions. Clint, in addition to just being a consistently incredibly articulate guy, um, has also had kind of like a fascinating career over the last handful of years because he made a bunch of splinter cell games, which are incredible. Uh, Far Cry Two, which is still one of the greatest games of all time. People may not think, but there's there's a lot of Far Cry 2 and Firewatch. But then he ended up kind of like directed through a series of companies where he did a bunch of work, but none of the games were publicly released, or it was just kind of like under the, the vagueness of stuff that leaks out of Valve, and now he's back at Ubisoft and is presumably working on something that will actually come out and ship soon. So given that rather unusual perspective, I would be fascinated. So uh, yeah, guys, go get Clint.
0: So Nell's there, Um, amusingly basically pouring more praise on the same game we've just talked about there. But he's a big stealth man, as you know, so a big stealth man recommendation. Some would say it's
1: it's an oxymoron to be big, but also stealthy.
0: I think if you're big enough, then it's like you're so big that you're everywhere and people don't notice you. That's fine. Did you manage to play Quadrilateral Cowboy? I haven't yet, you know, it's on my list. You
1: know what, man? I like Blendo Games... They have... He, he, Brenda Chung has a way of telling stories that is just the most fabulous thing. I didn't even get along with the stealth in Quadrilateral Cowboy that much, and the heists in it I found very fiddly and frustrating, but my God, the storytelling between missions and the world-building. Ooh, if oof, you want a cheap little uh, stealth treat, definitely pick up Quadrilateral I'm Cowboy. I'm going to need to check that out. It's the kind of thing that definitely... Reminds you how much heart and love... It's a bit like Undertale, you know, in that way. Like, how much heart and love can be packed into one guy's game.
0: Funny, clean Hocking, yeah. Interesting guy. Far Cry 2 is obviously one of those games that people who really, really were into it at that point, oh my God, they're into it. I know you're one of those people. Hi, hi Matthew. I'm kind of half on the fence with that. I, I did like it a lot, but I didn't persevere with it for as long as everyone else because after about 12 hours, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I'll it def- was- tell
1: you what, I mean, I'm not even going to ramble about the million and one reasons why Far Cry 2 is the greatest game ever, but what I will say, best slide in any video game. (laughs) Better
0: than those children's slides you get in uh, playgrounds, which are very disappointing. Yeah, those are awful.
1: And if you have any exposed skin, you get that squeak, and then you stop. And that You know, that friction. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I just specifically remember just bombing it through a jungle in a jeep and then suddenly hitting something. I thought you were talking about like like, a playground when you were a kid. (laughs) No, just being (laughs) like, what did I just hit? What's going on? Because you've like just crashed into a deer and you fly out your car. Oh, that is the
1: greatest. (sighs) Just leaving missions and like, you know, you've, You've grabbed the thing you came for and you're vaulting out the base and everyone's shooting at you and you jump in a Jeep and then you're driving the Jeep and it's dark and it's raining and you can barely see because it's Africa. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then your Jeep just hits a gazelle. <laughs> you know, it's very much one of those games that had the that had a set of ideas and managed to nail some a, a real thing that since like other games, including the series itself, has really tried to to get back to, to get back to that place, that feeling somehow, and as has just repeatedly failed to, and well, that kind of brings us on to.
1: It does, yeah. Uh, although I think I would say that it's it's it kind of justifies the um, uh, a lot of the feelings that people have about Far Cry Two, that um, yeah, like myself and people, one, they say it's a classic, and it's evidenced by the fact that you know you play Far Cry Three and Four, and everyone agrees that those games are not, you know, that those games are not great, which no. just proves how much mastery and thought and wit and intelligence went into Far Cry Two, which is in a lot of ways, a really dumb game. But it's, it's, it's the smartest,
0: dumbest game ever. They nailed some stuff. They sure <laughs> did. Anyway, now we're going to jump on to another new feature, Ooh. which is called Don't Step On My Child.
1: Hood. Hood. It's called Don't Step On My Child. Hood. Go jingle. Don't
0: Step On My Child. So this is another new one. I don't know how well this is going to work. We're going to have to pan this out. But the idea is that each time we do the podcast, before we do it, we sit and play a game that one of us used to really love a long time ago, like because maybe a decade or more. who
1: needs to count out to the man with his marketing hype cycle playing new things
0: all the time? Damn right.
1: I'd oh, I've got my done. games now, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to buy next year. Stop! It's bad. Think about the past.
0: So it's an exploration into nostalgia and looking at whether or not things that we thought were great from years ago are still great. And an
1: opportunity to talk about really, well, questionably fantastic things
0: from another time. Exactly. This comes with a kind of sister thing, sister, sister thing of a video. So basically the video for this will be up, I think, either before or after. I haven't worked it out yet, but it'll be within the same week. There'll be a video of me and Quinns playing this game. Um... (laughs) The question, of course, is whether or not a format in which one person berates the other person while they very much play something that they deeply care about is a good one for us personally. We'll find out. Because <laughs> it may just crush my soul. I mean, I yes, it's the combination
1: of you being very sleepy today and then <laughs> essentially going, Quinns, here's a game I care I deeply about. Game. And me being
0: very aware that the formula needs... Me to just say I mean I mean I I came up with a formula. I'm I'm entirely to blame for this. Being like, Why is this man being mean about a game that I like? This is Well, let's talk about cool. it, man. So basically the game we've got this week, which you'll be able to watch me playing for a bit, is Fantasy Star Online. And you can see us playing this on
1: coolghosts.net or if you look for the Cool Ghosts YouTube channel on YouTube <laughs> <The> website, YouTube, <laughs> on yeah. popular internet website. Uh,
0: but this is a game that I played a lot when I was uh, sixteen, and then a lot again when I was about eighteen, nineteen. I used to play it originally online with friends, sitting in bed with my Dreamcast, staying up all night, plugging Wait, in sitting the, in bed with your Dreamcast. Yeah, well, my Dreamcast wasn't in the bed with me, obviously. So you'd have the TV, like I'd have my little on the computer other side monitor of the on the table. I'd I'd be sitting up in bed, okay, under legs under the duvet, okay, uh, the keyboard on my lap. Right. Because you could like but all the text type. in the game is really small, so how did you process it from like a distance? I wasn't that far away from the screen. Okay. Um, and then you'd just be able to just kind of be half asleep and chatting to your mates whilst killing I've monsters. Never played a PC game in bed before. Well, yeah. I mean, but that was the weird thing about the Dreamcast was it was a game that you play with a controller, but then you also had a keyboard and you could type whilst playing. Did you buy like a Dreamcast keyboard? Yeah. I yeah. never had
1: a Dreamcast, as you say. I
0: bought a Dreamcast basically um at the point at which the doctors had officially made it clear that it was dead. And and that was great, because it just meant I went directly, I think, to Sega Europe the website and just bought, like, a Dreamcast and loads of peripherals and loads of games for, like, not a lot of money. Wow. Because uh, everything was, like, on a sale, because it was like, this is done. But, you know what, I had so many great games that I have no regret in that, and... You know, it's funny now, like, it's, it taught me a great lesson that because now you still have pundits being like, this console's dead, and it's like, guys, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, <laughs> in fact, when a console dies, like, you stop getting angry about it. It's like, hooray, now I can buy it all for, like, not a lot of money. So where this game falls in the history
1: of uh, games, I guess, is it's, it shows a lot of DNA with um, massively multiplayer online games, except instead of being massively multiplayer, it's just an online game. Yeah, It's occasionally multiplayer uh, yeah,
0: you could play with up to a, four, three other people um, and it was basically just looping, you go through dungeons, you do the same thing over and over again, you get loot, you get better things, but it's basically just a very simple rhythmic action game. With eight levels, is that right? Well, so it's two, hard to describe, there's basically like, there's four areas. Um, four texture sets with different kinds of monsters. Pretty much. But things do kind of advance with and different settings. and.
1: Despite the levels having names like Forest and Mine, the jazziest goddamn soundtrack you have ever heard. Yeah, the music is amazing. The music is absolutely stellar. And, and I mean,
0: we didn't have it in the game because I think that basically the version I've been playing is Blue Burst. You can still play it for free. You can just download the game, jump into these servers. Some of them actually, the one I've been playing on is Athenia, I think, which is really well maintained and they're still tweaking loot drops and fixing things and it's like people care about this game and I do, uh, but just not as much as these people. But they have tons of stuff, like, I've completely lost my train of thought now, but basically it's like it's still kind of a thing and I think that that there's a reason for that. I think it is because actually it got loads of stuff just right. Okay, so this is this is what I'm
1: trying to tap into. Because I'm like... I Think of me like Louis Theroux or Werner Herzog and I've come here and I'm let's stick with Werner Herzog. And I'm looking at you and I'm saying, why are you playing this game? <laughs> but I, I, I want to get felt, to the human condition. But
0: I felt that you were like completely like, oh, blah, 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 bollocks, bollocks, bollocks. And then I handed you the controls and you were like, oh, this is so... Blah, 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 blah. I mean, but then <laughs> I kind of felt like after you've been playing for a few minutes, there was like, you still kind of felt like this is crap. But I felt like there was... You were starting to feel something.
1: So one of the things I learned uh, in my playing, I've probably played about two hundred hours of Street Fighter V now, and I've been plugged into that community. Street Fighter V community is very honest about the joy of pressing buttons, uh-huh. and like one of the th- one of the things that pros will talk about is like you were pressing a button there, as in that's disparaging. And the idea of just the joy of pushing a button is something that I think is vital to video games that is not part of our vocabulary. Fantasy Star Online, Blue Burst or not did have the thing where I press a button and my character swings a sword and that felt intangibly connected and moorish in a way that is not apparent from watching videos of the game you watch videos and it's like crap characters waving swords but no i press a button it knocks a monster back i think it's
0: also the the very fixed rhythm of the attacks yeah sure you go wom wom. i mean this is
1: the the quasi mystical (laughs) bit of game design of like what do humans enjoy why do some guns or swords feel better when we press the button and hit a thing but then the
0: funny thing as well is all the weapon types have different rhythms and i know them all off by heart like i know that daggers go one 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 one, like it's just like, and it just to hear it like it's a strange trance. And there's, what's weird about it is, you know, I I've played so many games like this, so many kind of like cooperative or solo play loot dungeon repeater games, and it's always the fixation is always on that kind of Skinner box for giving you loot. Whereas I think in this, it's the rhythm of the combat. As simple as it is, it's something that is just being in it um, is is comforting. well
1: this is it man for this feature to survive it can never be like I mean we can make fun of each other and that will clearly be part of it but you know what would real documentarians what would Werner Herzog say about this and the answer is like I just need to find out why this Werner Herzog would be like what, what the fuck is no, this no Werner Herzog would say like you know this game is disgusting but also uh, you know do, do the rhythms of the attacks speak <laughs> to you I lost my Hertzog accent there. We're a bit South African, yeah, yeah. But the uh, the Far Cry, 2 it was went. quite good. Up Far until that Cry Two point, had yeah. great South African accents. It, did. it um, did. So, but yeah. So, like the 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 repetitive woms of the attack. Do they bring you pleasure? The the reliable kind of input output thing of the game. You press a button and it
0: woms. I think you. it's the fact that you've got this really simple uh, combat system, uh, just very very restrictive. Yes. Very rhythmic. Yes. Um and because of that restriction though you end up having these very slight tiny things like if you you know slightly stop that attack and then move in this specific direction then you won't get hit by the enemy yeah and it becomes this weird combination of um almost invisible tiny details that you learn that make you just better at the game yeah but also had that lovely community folklore thing which i think we've never really seen to the same degree outside of monster hunter or destiny it we can like- talk about this
1: yeah the um the thing that a lot of mmos tend to I tend to gloss over as they become more popular and big because it doesn't test very well. Is this yeah the, the, the confusing means of communication between players that ends up creating a community or a yes. weird, terrible society? You have
0: this weird thing like I remember it, you the first time you get to a boss or something, you just see all of the players suddenly run over and stand against the wall, and you're like, why are they? D-? And then you get killed. And you know it's simple <laughs> things like that, and and the fact that you often because you could type whilst doing it, but this was before voice chat. It meant a lot of the time your cooperation with strangers was based purely on implicit stuff. So you would learn just by watching other people do things. And one of the things as well is it's like it's so much about the framework you're working within. But those levels, the level designs, they're kind of procedurally generated and they're really easy to get lost in. And the funny thing is you don't see it so much on the first level, which we go through in the forest. But on the later ones, like the mines and the ruins, these levels are massive, right? But... There are like subtle cues that you can see. So you'd be like, ah, oh, this room. It means like it's always the correct way to go from this room is through that door. And, but then it's like really subtle stuff that you just learn. And it becomes like this strange thing of you, you can either spend an hour and a half going through ruins and then getting to the boss, or maybe you'll spend 40 minutes. And how you, how the difference between that is how good you are at navigating these weird labyrinths. And that's just from, and again, I remember having lovely moments where you have this guy being like, this way. And you're like, okay. And then you'd be like, you've got us lost, haven't you? You idiot. And
1: I'm exposed to this a lot because uh, my wife does a YouTube series called lo-fi let's plays where she plays um, old games from the 1980s. Um, often uh, Apple to uh, adventure games. And I was, this is very similar. And this is something we're seeing less and less in games now as they just become very smooth uh, as the language of games has become so refined. Now we know how to lead people down the garden path. But, um, But when she plays old adventure games, I'm saying, "How could you possibly get the solution to that puzzle?" But she will point out to me, "Well, no, it's a language. It's a language of the way that the designer has written a sentence to describe this environment. Lets me know I should look in the well." And it's similar—a similar thing you're describing, where the way to play these games is so cloudy when you look at them from the 21st century. Mm -hmm. They're so confusing and strange and arcane,
0: and that's part of the joy of it. Yeah. Um, And you have the similar things as well. It has actually. For years, people said to me, because I just love PSO, people were like, dude, you've got to play Monster Hunter. And I tried a couple of times, but they were so hard to get into. And now it's I like... I said this in the video. It did... F- it, Yeah. And It's very Monster Hunter-y. And it's, it's actually... What's interesting about PSO is it's like... It's of that era, probably it was Monster Hunter 1 or Monster Hunter 2 of that time, maybe slightly later. But really, it's one of those things where you kind of think like, it's a shame because PSO was really something. But then av- everything they made after that, apart from apparently PSO 2 and is actually all right, but it hasn't had the same love and the same evolution as Monster Hunter. So it's an it's interesting thing now where like Monster Hunter, where it's as now, is just infinitely better than like PSO. But it could have, it could have been something. There was, there was some stuff about it which was just like on a core level, so mechanically just there somehow that it all popped to life.
1: And hey, just to close us out, I'm, Really, I very much approve of spelling the word fantasy with a
0: ph. It's so dumb, but it's just that jazz. No, music I love there.
1: it. I love the music. I love fantasy with a ph. It's the it's this very nineteen nineties. Uh, oh God, what's the term for it? Oh, my wife would kill me if she knew I couldn't remember this. It's like uh, the the uh, Y two K aesthetic of like you know. The Spice Girls wearing, you know, suits that are like entirely reflective silver. It's this idea that the future will be pink. Exactly, Exactly. And I approve of that art design.
0: It's such a strange thing. And, you know, it's one of these funny things where nostalgia is a fickle thing. And sometimes I go back and play old games and go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? But it's not even that. It's not even like, or it's not even the opposite of that where you go, yeah, you know what? Actually, this is really bad now, but I can see why this was good then. But the weird thing about this game is, I pick it up now, like, and I'm just like, yeah, I I could just you play it. You still again get now. it, yeah. I could still, I could just start playing again now, and I play it for like 50 hours.
1: Well, as we continue this series, we're going to explore uh, how if that's just true of all the games we feel fond <laughs> of, or no, if Fantasy Flight Fantasy flaw is actually unique.
0: Yeah, we'll see.
1: We'll see. And if you want to see that video, that is on CoolGhosts.net and on our YouTube channel, and uh, it features me being much ruder.
0: And finally, another thing on Cool Ghost oh, you can have on the Daft Souls page is uh, the questions thread. Yes! So finally we'll do a couple of questions to round us off. Uh, The way that works, in case you don't know, is basically you can go and you can ask questions there or you can just upvote questions you like and each week we will answer a couple of the best voted questions. Question Question time. Hello there. Why don't you relax? Take off those shoes. It's time for a question from you. Okay, Michael Patterson asks, question for Matt easy do you have any more have you done any more work on the crab game that you started a few months ago this is a question that was asked nine months ago so um (laughs) mm, you know what i have um and it's almost if people aren't aware what's the name of your opus uh the name of my opus is this is I haven't actually announced this yet. Oh have you not? Know. So maybe it's a secret for now. Maybe it's a secret for now. But basically it's a game where you shoot crabs and it's a top-down shooter with crabs. And I've put so much work into it. It becomes a point where you're like, it was a tutorial thing to just teach myself how to make games. But now it's like, oh man, you should you should probably try and like finish this at some point because you put in like Yes, a ludicrous amount of time.
1: Matt relaxes by learning how to use nuanced and complicated yeah, software.
0: basically, yeah, I, that's how I I relax. I haven't had time at the moment to do anything on it because basically, funnily enough, uh, like editing video is also like an incredibly time and energy and mind intensive. I don't know what you're talking about, thing. mate. It's easy. <laughs> that sort of uh, uh, job. But no, I I I mean, I th- I, the most recent thing I had, I think, was crab tele- telepads, uh, which uh, which teleport teleport crabs into the level so they don't just appear at the edge of the map. Um, and then they, you actually also can see them kind of warming up. There's ice so. cream as well, isn't there? There's ice cream, yeah, the ice cream. The crabs eat the ice creams and then they turn into big crabs that explode. Um, it's sort of it's sort of an ongoing uh, thing. It's, it's, a, it's a funny thing of, of what happens if you try and make a game without any design document, in the fact that you just like end up <laughs> having an idea and then going off on it and then you finally finish the idea and you realise it makes the game like less fun to play. Um, and I think sunk cost
1: fallacy eh? Wondering like We get this in board games a lot I think yes. board games um, are worse for it
0: People trying to innovate And sometimes it's bad Yes, And it's difficult because uh, I find this a lot when I'm messing around in game devs. I think, ha, I'm not going to do it like that I'm going to do it my own crazy way It's going to be really cool and everyone's going to be like Oh my god, how did he have that idea? How did he have this bold this innovation on the shooting genre? And actually what happens is you think This isn't fun and then you go, oh! And then you go, well, maybe if I try this, no, that's not fun. No, that's not fun. And then after a while, you know what you do? You go, well, I guess I'll innovate in a different way somewhere else, and I'll just Unless... program this to be like it is in games. And then you do that, and you go, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> like, uh, and it's that thing of if you're not careful, you're just like, this is just a game. Uh, so yeah, it's basically just a game, and that's fine. But um, I haven't had time to finish it. It's just a game. You heard it here first. Yeah, don't, get, don't get carried away. I don't it's hate crabs. It's only a way.
1: video game, guys. I Hate
0: crabs? Everyone stops saying, "I hate crabs." It's not real. It's just drawings.
1: I like crabs a lot. Uh, David Salvadori. Uh, he writes um, with Hitman episode two, Blood and Wine, and Uncharted four. We're seeing more games set in sunny Mediterranean locales. Are there any real-life or fictional locations you'd like to see in video games? Seems like one for you, Quins. I love travelling in games. I love travelling in fiction. I love to watch movies come from other countries, not because I'm a tedious twat who likes... Well, sorry. Not just because I'm a tedious twat who likes foreign films, but also because I like uh, the media I... Absorb to take me to a place. Yeah. So I don't like to go to specific places. They're not, I don't, I don't desperately want a game set in like Korea. Yeah. But what I have been loving to pieces is what he describes, Hitman. Uh, the way that they release a new episode, and it's this beautifully researched uh vision of like um even the levels you don't like, like um it is Marrakesh. Thailand. Well, I was gonna no. say Thailand. Okay. So the Thailand, the hotel in Thailand, I was just replaying it and like. Seeing the, ba- I think they're banyan trees, but the trees that are in, in the staff area, the rivers, the architecture, the palace over the water, like it, it they have really gone. I mean, it's because it's a cheesy, um, touristy oh, to- tourism. To- to- hotel, tourism, yeah. But um, but they've lent into the tourism, and what's great is like, th- on that level alone, the difference between the hotel itself, which is like, oh look, you're in Thailand, we're gonna pack it full of every Thai stereotype. But when you go out back of the hotel, the designers have just gone, okay, what does Thailand actually look like? And it's yeah. like. Shitty vans and tuk tuks, and but also real jungle.
0: Like it's, it's a yeah, it's a it's it's a wonderful i it's a wonderful Matthew. It's a wonderful. It is a wonderful, and I do love that the Hitman tourism. It's very James Bond. That's like, and now you're flying here, and now you're flying here. <laughs> and uh, I I love the fact that on the missions where you think, God, I love this place, you can keep replaying, keep replaying. But sometimes you can just James Bond style go, you know what, done with this, flying somewhere new. and uh, <laughs> It's a fantastic game. It, it didn't grow on me initially. I thought Paris was a bit dull, but then. Um, I got into the flow of the game, and I loved it. I think for me, actually, like I find it's almost the reverse. I find that sometimes real world places are kind of spoiled when I realize that video games have have captured it a bit better. I always feel like um, I really loved the... oh what, really? Yeah, I really love the setting of um, well, it wasn't exactly that's not exactly true. Like Venice is a fantastic city <laughs> um ok. And I wondered a, where this was going as a place, Venice is just spectacular. Um, and 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 I realized actually when you start reading about the history of Venice and stuff and going to the museums, you're just like, oh, Assassin's Creed literally just they didn't make up any of this. They're I just, know like, Assassin's Creed is really just, good for historical like literacy. even the fact that it's like in the second game when it's like I was like this is so stupid. I've got daggers with pistols on them and everything's got pistols on them. It's like that stuff existed. Like you go to the museums, <laughs> and it's like it wasn't very effective and you probably wouldn't like be able to fire it more than once in like an hour. But it was like merchants with tons of money who were like, hey, look at this. I've got a battle axe with a shotgun in it. You like, know, this
1: reminds me of. Uh, 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 something interesting I read on Grant Rodiek's blog. Grant Rodiek works on The Sims, um, and he makes board games as well. He made Cry Havoc, which is supposedly very good. We haven't played it yet, but he said an interesting thing because you know this awe of like, well, how do you solve the problem if you're like the Witcher devs and you know, yeah. you've got your fantasy world? And it's like, what if you have chosen a setting which is like, which doesn't have people of other ethnicities? What if it, you've chosen a setting that doesn't have women? That's a, that's a very, uh, or it can be depending on your point of view, a difficult problem to solve because. Are you historically not accurate or, uh, you know, whatever. And his answer, which I thought was really poignant and clever, was just like, you don't have to have this problem. There are a million and one settings in the world across time and space. Just pick a setting that has more ethnicities and men and women. And, you know, like, because why would you do anything else? Like, you're hamstringing yourself. You're limiting your game's audience, you know, it's... We can discuss this problem, or we can just make sure this problem doesn't happen. Because my God, all of human
0: history is so big and rich and wonderful. Or you just ignore it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a funny one. But yeah, I mean, I found as well like the the weird thing for me with Venice was that I'd been playing a ton of Dishonored, and and uh, I just love the level with the masks, basically the level where you go to the oh, mask right, ball. Yes, and just the it, so much of that was almost based on like Venetian ball culture. of These like almost disgustingly opulent feasts and these wonderful masks and people just being like oh just trying to titillate each other with their own inventivity and wealth yes um and then i kind of found it a bit sad when like you venice, went to actual venice. venice is a beautiful place and it's a beautiful city in many ways and it's a but fascinating it's place dishonored. historically but today it's like kind of junk like w- what Venice was remains incredible but what it is is just a really touristy place with junk well hey but everywhere. You, you
1: know Dishonored is another example of what we're talking about Of what sorry what I was just wittering about wherever one of one of the things that everyone loves about Dishonored is like whaling and like the way that the art designers use whales and the idea of a whaling culture but like if you go I went to a if you go to a whaling museum like that's something that everyone could do I just do that <laughs> but I was in Nantucket visiting my wife's parents and there was a whaling museum and I went sure. and like my god like whaling is incredible and insane and wonderful and the Venice stuff we're talking about in Dishonored and also the whaling that's not necessarily these art designers just being witty that's also just them looking at human history and finding awesome stuff and let me tell you like we've only scratched the surface with
0: video games there is so many settings that's the thing I mean and that it's like to be you know with something like they might oh yeah but you're not going to get whales this close to like a canal I don't know like no it doesn't make sense cut the whales out like it's just like do what you want (laughs) fucking like like, yeah I don't know I think just just choose and chop and make something interesting and the final question I think we're going to have oh this is a tough one from oh, Theo here do
1: you have an answer for this?
0: Uh, you yeah I don't know um,
1: we're going to upset some people no matter how we answer it yeah okay Theo
0: asks what's your favourite dinosaur? I'm just going to say it it's boring but I'm a boring man.
1: Oh, can I guess what your favourite dinosaur will be? Well, you're going to guess now I've said that. What do you think it is? I think your favourite dinosaur is a brontosaurus. It's t T-Rex. <laughs>
0: oh, you are not that boring. <laughs> oh, come on, it's great. I was thinking about Jurassic Park recently and that T-Rex is like, well, you know, like flipping cars. The T-Rex in real life is a
1: scavenger. It didn't hunt people. It ate corpses.
0: Fine. That sounds like me. I would say, though, actually, I watched this amazing video. If you're if you, Jurassic Park and T-Rexes, there's an amazing video. If you Google Jurassic Park subtext, brilliant little lecture by a guy who just goes through and talks about Steven Spielberg's use of subtext in uh, Jurassic Park. That sounds lovely. It's brilliant. It's
1: one of those uh, lovely things to throw. Is it one of those things you can throw at people when they say, oh, I don't want politics
0: in my anything? Uh, sort of, yeah. It basically talks about how like the whole film is about family and the whole film is about like, um being ready for a family and like, and all of the themes. And honestly, oh, really? Yeah. And it's really cool. And when you watch this, it's like, Oh man. Yeah. Like it's not just like, it doesn't feel far fetched. But one of the interesting things with the T-Rex is he talks about how the T-Rex is basically not like an antagonist in the same way. It's basically, it's, it's a visual test. And the whole film he says is about, um, doctor, what's his name? Go with a hat and a blue shirt coming to terms with the idea of maybe wanting kids. And the fact that at the start, he's like, oh, kids. Ugh. But then it's like all about them, about creation and stuff. And every po- time, it points out that in the film that every time the T-Rex turns up, um, he has to choose whether to just basically, it's always at a time where he's like separated from the kids and he has to choose whether to just look after himself and run away or to go and protect the kids. And uh, yeah, fascinating video. Definitely watch it. It's one of my favorite things I've seen in years. So uh, go and have a look at that. Nice. And uh, that's it for Daft Souls. Thank you again for uh, being patient with us when we disappeared for about. It's fine. I didn't six, have a dinosaur seven, anyway. Seven months. I it was. Oh, sh- I'm so sorry. It's fine, man. No, this this oh, has been Daft Souls, so- and you've
1: been listening to this. I'm if you so want sorry. to ask a, Matthew, we'll talk about this later. If you want to ask a question of Matt and myself, or just upvote or downvote questions that other people have asked, you can do that on CoolGhosts.net/slash. Uh, well, no, let's not give them the URL like it's 2001. <laughs> just click on click on the button that says Darth Souls. Click on the yeah, button the that says ask thing. a question. And you know
0: what? While you're clicking on buttons, uh, the podcast has been away for a while. And if you really want to show us some love, then do go to iTunes and give us a review or just tell a friend about us. You know, tell some people you know about Darth Souls and be like, it's hey, this is a really good podcast. Yeah,
1: those reviews are
0: great because
1: iTunes is weird don't even need to give us five stars if you think we're kind of a four star podcast that's fine It still bumps us up
0: the charts I'm happy with that Queens, I'm so sorry about that
1: mate let's move on let's move on we'll be back in two weeks thank you very much everybody Goodbye. goodbye goodbye